Good morning. In today's headlines, deadly wildfires in Hawaii are entering a third day. The death toll in Maui County now stands at 36. We have updates. Former President Trump files his latest request in the documents case. He wants a secure room at Mar-a-Lago to review classified evidence. A watchdog report calls attention to hundreds of millions of dollars given to National Institutes of Health scientists from Chinese and Russian entities. Shocking violence in Ecuador. A presidential candidate who spoke out against organized crime is murdered. We have the details. A federal court ruled a law prohibiting illegal drug users from owning firearms as unconstitutional. The ruling comes in the wake of a man who was jailed after police found weapons and marijuana butts during a traffic stop. And coaches at a gym in Texas aren't just teaching boxing, they teach students how to apply boxing to life. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. Also from me, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, August 10th. And hopefully everyone in Hawaii or traveling to Hawaii stays safe. Yeah, uh, stay safe. As we just heard, 36 people now have died, according to officials. Communities devastated. One whole town wiped off the map, and even cultural sites have been destroyed. So hopefully those rescuers can locate the people who are unaccounted for. And here's the latest. Yeah, evacuations are underway on Hawaii's big island and Maui as wildfires rage across both islands. At least 36 people have died and thousands have fled. President Biden sending the Coast Guard and the Navy to support the rescue. Take a look at the catastrophic scenes coming out of Hawaii. If anybody's still out here, it's time to go! Ferocious flames singeing buildings in Lahaina, Maui. The Hawaiian island is known for its lush vegetation. Now many areas along the western coast look like this, engulfed in flames and smoke, charred buildings and ash. People stuck in traffic trying to get out and there, there's flame on, on both sides of the road, like something out of a, a, a horror movie. Wildfires are devastating sections of Maui as well as portions of Hawaii's Big Island. Hospitals in Maui are overwhelmed with burn patients and people suffering from smoke inhalation. Officials say people are jumping in the waters just to desperately flee the flames. We just feel so um, sad and um, just great sympathy and prayers. Dry conditions and strong winds from Hurricane Dora in the Pacific are making the situation much worse. The military and National Guard are sending helicopters and personnel to fight the fires, but the flames are nowhere near contained. Our entire street was burned to the ground. The winds and flames knocking out cell towers in Maui, shutting down communication, including 911 services, making rescue efforts difficult and assessing the damage even harder. We really don't have all of the details and exactly how many structures are damaged, um, but we do know, you know, power is out, they're having problems with water. The Hawaii Convention Center in Honolulu is being turned into a shelter for those fleeing the fires. Airlines are also canceling flights, discouraging non-essential travel to Maui. From natural disasters to politics, former President Trump filing his latest request in the classified documents case. He is asking to have a secure room at Mar-a-Lago so he can review the documents in the case. In a court filing on Wednesday, former President Trump's legal team asked the government to reestablish a secure facility at the Mar-a-Lago resort. 
This is so they can discuss classified information involved in the court case he is battling, Trump's lawyers wrote. Reestablishing the same secure area that existed during President Trump's term as President of the United States is a secure, efficient, and cost-effective way for these conversations to take place in a fully secure environment. Earlier, Trump's team asked to review evidence in the case at his Florida resort. Prosecutors with special counsel Jack Smith, who brought the charges, have previously scoffed at Trump's request, calling it extraordinary. In the absence of such an arrangement, Trump would have to travel to a secure facility at either the northern or southern district of Florida each time his lawyers wanted to talk to him about classified information involved in the case. Trump's lawyers argue that this would cost more government resources when Trump visits each time. Trump is facing 40 charges in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. He pleaded not guilty to all charges. Special counsel Jack Smith got a search warrant for former President Trump's Twitter account in January. That's according to a newly unsealed court filing. Smith's investigation into the account is reportedly connected to Trump's efforts to dispute 2020 election results. The search warrant that Smith obtained in a D.C. court sought data and records related to the former president's account. Twitter and the special counsel's office spent several months arguing over whether Trump should be told about it. Twitter wanted to notify Trump about it, raising First Amendment concerns. Ultimately, Twitter, now called X, was barred from telling Trump about the search warrant. The company was fined $350,000 because it delayed turning over the records. Trump on so Truth Social said the Justice Department secretly attacked his Twitter account. He called it a major hit on his civil rights that was kept from him. Bank records released yesterday show more than $20 million paid to the Bidens. The foreign cash flowing from oligarchs in Ukraine, Russia and Kazakhstan. And today's Melina Weiskup reports on the GOP-led Oversight Committee's investigation. So this third memo by the Oversight Committee is the result of subpoenaing six banks, and it's focused on payments made to Hunter Biden by wealthy foreigners. Now, for example, one foreigner that's mentioned here is a Russian billionaire by the name of Yelena Bacharima. He paid $3.5 million to Hunter Biden and his business partner, Devin Archer, through a company known as Rosemont Seneca. The key thing here that the Oversight Committee notes is the timing of this payment, as well as others made by oligarchs in Ukraine. Ukraine and Kazakhstan, for example. These payments happened in the February of 2014 and the spring of 2014. Then just months later, then Vice President Biden sat down and joined a dinner with Hunter Biden and these same business partners that he was engaging with. Not only one dinner, but two dinners. To be clear, President Biden has not been directly linked to any of those payments, but there is an account that received money that's linked to an unidentified Biden. Now, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Cole, I recently asked him if the lacking of this hard evidence would impact their investigation. He said that witness testimony could fill those gaps. See, that would need to be a communications, a proof of communications that you would need to look at, right? And if there's... More people that were in the room, people that know exactly what. So what's next for Comer's investigation? More digging. He says he'll continue to follow the money, continue to request more witness testimony to ultimately discover whether or not our national security has been compromised. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. 
over $325 million in about 10 years. That's what National Institutes of Health scientists got in royalties from Chinese and Russian entities and pharmaceutical companies. Entities Daniel Monahan has the detail of a new watchdog report. The report was released by transparency watchdog OpenTheBooks.com. It published over 1,500 pages of unredacted records, resulting from a Freedom of Information Act battle with the NIH. The records identify companies that paid royalties, which NIH scientists they paid, what inventions they paid for, and when. Several of the royalty payments were from companies that later got federal contracts and grants, raising concerns about conflicts of interest. Former NIH Director Francis Collins and former National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director Dr. Anthony Fauci are among those listed as receiving payments between September 2009 and October 2020. The report says Collins received licensing payments from a minimum of four companies that have been awarded almost $50 million from the U.S. government since 2008. Fauci has previously stated that he donates all royalties to charity. The NIH lets inventors take the first $2,000 collected from a licensee and then 15% of royalties above $2,000 and up to $50,000 and 25% of royalties in excess of the first $50,000 collected each year. There is a $150,000 cap on royalty payments for a calendar year. The documents also show at least 34 Chinese companies licensing NIH technologies first funded by U.S. taxpayers. Some licensing fees were paid by the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products. The company moved its headquarters next to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in 2016. The Russian animal vaccine producer Pokrov Biologics plant also made several payments to two scientists from the CDC. Republican Senator Rand Paul recently called on the Senate to force federal employees to disclose such royalties, but that bid was rejected in committee by Democrats joined by Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. NTD reached out to the NIH for comment, and we will update viewers when we hear back. Still to come, New York City's mayor reveals how many billions of dollars the city is expected to spend on illegal immigration and asks the federal government for financial aid. And a Texas man selling guns monitored by the FBI. He didn't break any laws yet at the ATF. They surveilled him without a warrant and passed on his info to the bureau. Find out more about the concerns this raises over constitutional protections. It's just clear as day. The media, whether it's broadcast, cable, or print media, has become extremely biased. And I started looking online for alternative ways to, to get information. And I saw an ad for a free trial. And I looked at it and I said, Epoch Times? I mean, come on, this is end of days type of stuff? I mean, what are they gonna be talking about here? And I said, well, it's a free trial, let me dig in. Is it giving me both sides? Is it giving me an objective point of view here? I have looked for opportunities to see where they might be biased, and I don't find it. It has given me a level of trust in media that I didn't think I'd ever get back. I love the Epoch Times because it has renewed uh, my faith in the idea that a reliable, responsible, non-biased source of information is available. And I can say that I love it because of that. Hey, I told you enough of that. But look, this is different. It's Ganjing World. 
Welcome back. A decades-old law prohibiting illegal drug users from owning firearms has been ruled unconstitutional. A three-judge panel in New Orleans ruled in favor of a man who was convicted under that law. He was found carrying a pistol and semi-automatic rifle in his vehicle during a traffic stop. Police also found marijuana cigarette butts in the vehicle. The man, Patrick Daniels, was subsequently sentenced to nearly four years in jail. U.S. Circuit Judge Jerry Smith said that while intoxication may result in some limitations in relation to firearms, there is no justification for disarming a sober citizen based on prior drug use. New York City's mayor is changing his approach to tackling the illegal immigration crisis. He explained yesterday exactly how many billions the city will have to spend if things don't change. The goal, financial aid from the federal government. Entities Arian Pastar has more. But we are past our breaking point. New York City Mayor Eric Adams on Wednesday again calling for financial aid from the federal government. That's to assist the sanctuary city with the ongoing immigration crisis. Adams laid out how much the city is expected to spend on immigration over the next three years. More than $12 billion. Adams is asking both state and federal government for more funding and space to house immigrants. He recently said the city is currently considering housing people in 10 cities in Central Park, among other locations. Adams on Wednesday also challenged the city's right to shelter law. The Big Apple has to provide beds and care to anyone in need because of the law. That is just not sustainable. It's not realistic. And so because of that, you are finding people come from all over the globe. The city is reportedly spending almost $10 million on illegal immigrants every day. And the number of people seeking shelter is expected to double within the next 10 months. Next, we're delving into some concerns around your constitutional protections. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms monitored without a warrant a Texas man selling guns on Facebook. Earlier, I spoke to an investigator about why this matters. Joining me now is Emily Miller, award-winning investigative journalist and author at emilypostnews.com. Thank you for your time today, Emily. Thanks for having me on the show. What are the main concerns surrounding the monitoring of this Texas man? Well, this has been a secret program that's been going on between the ATF and the FBI for several years that was recently uncovered in a series I've been doing for the Epoch Times. It shows that the ATF looks at its suspects and then gives their names to the FBI, and then the FBI does checks on them, monitors them for about unlimited amounts of time just based on suspects that the ATF gives them. So is it illegal for the ATF to surveil a person without a warrant? 
According to federal law, it is. I mean, according to the Constitution, of course, it also is. Um, but the ATF and the FBI spokespeople both tell me that this is legal and they're going to continue to do it or are possibly continuing to do that. In this specific case that I just reported, a man posted on Facebook that he was selling a gun, his personal gun, which violates Facebook policy but does not violate the law. And the ATF investigated him, found nothing that he had done that was illegal in this case, didn't arrest him, but yet still gave his name to the FBI and the FBI put him on a six-month check watching him to see if he bought guns, putting him into the national database. And that check also can, is unlimited, so we don't know. And I asked the FBI if the man is still under investigation, still being watched, and they refused to say. So they do not need to commit a crime in order to be monitored? They can, or, or, or is it that they do need to have committed a crime first and then the monitoring can begin? No. They have, none of these people that I've investigated have have any have convicted at least have convicted the crime that they're being investigated for some of them may have convicted other crimes in the past this man this one i'm talking about who posted his guns for sale on facebook um did not commit a crime he was not the investigation showed that he said he did not buy guns for other people he actually sold his guns for a loss he was not making money for the uh, for guns and he had a full-time job he was just bought bought some guns over time. It was his hobby. He plays with them. He tinkers with them. And then he sells them. Sometimes, for, And he said never for a profit. That, there's no laws broken there. So the fact that he wasn't doing this as a lucrative business, does that affect the ATF's decision on who they would normally monitor? Well, the ATF investigated him for straw purchasing, and in their own documents, which I got from the Gun Owners of America, which has sued the ATF and the FBI to get more information on this program, the documents show that the man said that he wasn't breaking straw purchasing laws, he wasn't breaking any of these federal laws, and yet the ATF continued to give his name and all his information, which are the documents that I saw, to the FBI, and the FBI said, yes, we're putting him into the background check system, and he will be monitored for six months at least and can be renewed. So, Emily, why should Americans be focused on this right now, just briefly? Well, there's a Fourth Amendment right in the Constitution to not having unwarranted searches and seizures, and this is what the government is doing. The government's doing it open. Well, they weren't doing it openly for a long time, and now they are. It means that anybody can be put watched by the FBI without committing a crime, without even knowing about it, and the government is watching. Well, Emily Miller, investigative journalist, thank you so much for shedding light on this. Thank you for having me on the show. Coming up, a presidential candidate outspoken against organized crime and corruption is gunned down after leaving a campaign event. That's after the break. Good to have you back. We're continuing with some international news. A presidential candidate in Ecuador has been assassinated. Fernando Villavicencio was a vocal critic of corruption and organized crime. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the tragic incident which occurred during an evening campaign event in northern Quito. The murder of candidate Fernando Villavicencio shocked the South American country. He was reportedly shot in the head after leaving the campaign event. A suspect in the crime later died of injuries sustained in a shootout, and six others have so far been arrested. A criminal gang called Los Lobos, the Wolves, has claimed responsibility. Los Lobos is the second largest gang in Ecuador with some 8,000 members, many of whom are in prison. 
Nine people, including a candidate for the legislature and two police officers, were injured. Ecuador's outgoing president, Guillermo Lasso, called the murder an attempt to sabotage the electoral process. Este es un... This is a political crime which has the character of terrorism. But Lasso says voting will go ahead as planned on August 20th. Security was one of the major issues in the presidential contest. Via Vincencio's party recently discussed suspending campaigning due to political violence, including the July murder of the mayor of Manta. Via Vincencio opposed the suspension, saying it would be an act of cowardice. A few days before the assassination, the presidential candidate promised change. Even though they threaten me, with the mafia there is no agreement. The police know where the mafia are and do not intervene. The murder prompted anger from Via Vincencio's supporters toward former President Rafael Correa. Via Vincencio was an outspoken detractor of Correa when he worked as a journalist. He was sentenced to 18 months in prison for defamation over statements made against the former president, but he fled to indigenous territory within Ecuador and later was given asylum in Peru. He returned after Correa left office. Via Vincencio had on Tuesday made a report to the attorney general's office about an oil business, but no further details of his report were made public. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And moving on to China, the second largest economy just tipped into deflationary territory. Consumer prices fell. China's youth unemployment soars to 21 percent. How bad is China's economy really, and how will it affect the U.S. and the rest of the world? Joining me now is Antonio Graceffo, an economist and China analyst. It's good to have you, Antonio. Um, please start by explaining what deflation actually is and why is it worrying? Good morning. Thank you for having me. So deflation is basically the opposite of inflation. Inflation is when we see consumer prices rising. Deflation is when we see prices begin to fall. Now, you might think that that's good because it means you can buy things more cheaply. But remember that the things that are being manufactured in China and sold in China are made with inputs, raw materials, and so forth that are imported from a world which is generally facing inflation, which means that the cost is going up, the price that the retailers can sell the goods for is going down. And this will eat into their profitability and eventually eat into employment as well. Now, if China would really slip into that spiral of deflation, how would it affect us here in the U.S.? Well, China is still one of our uh, largest export partners, even though we run such a large trade deficit with China. We do export a lot of goods to them. Also, a lot of American companies are dependent on the revenue that they earn in China because they manufacture in China and then sell to the U.S. However, they sell in the Chinese domestic market. Those, salt, those sales will fall off if uh, deflation continues. Now, in light of that, when you say we have a very strong partnership with China and that Secretary Yellen was trying to restore ties a while back, traveling to Beijing, I'm, I'm just wondering, with this current situation, would that mean that if we had stronger uh, ties with China, would we be affected more strongly in our economy as well? Yes, it's absolutely correct. The closer our ties are with China, the more it will affect us here. So, for example, if we, if we look at like the 2008 financial crisis, it did not affect China as much as it affected other countries because China was just not engaged with the world the way it is now. Same thing with, the, you know, the U.S. is now heavily dependent on uh, these exports to China and the manufacturing in China. And 
as a result, we will feel this more acutely than if we could wean ourselves off of China dependence. Now, I think you touched on this previously shortly, but can you go in a bit more detail about how, how successful has the U.S. been in de-risking, uh, so to speak, from China? Well, the, China, uh, the United States has been moving steadily towards de-risking, reshoring, moving uh, manufacturing out of China. And luckily, the slump in China, the general downward trend in the Chinese economy has accelerated uh, those movements. So we're certainly in a better position than we were a year ago. You know, Mexico is now our top trade partner. So we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Well, we're not there yet. Hmm. Now let's talk about the causes as well. I see a couple different um, theories about what caused the slump in China. So some say it's because of the pork prices. What's your take? Well, it, you know, it starts with the COVID lockdowns. You had, uh, you know, three years of COVID lockdowns in China that absolutely decimated the economy. You have uh, nationalism that's being pushed by Xi Jinping and the CCP. Uh, you know, telling people to buy Chinese brands as opposed to foreign brands. So that's that's hurting our companies uh, in China. Uh, there is a decrease in demand for Chinese exports in the rest of the world. And so we see Chinese export numbers going down. The export numbers are going down. That means the factory activity has to go down. Factory activity goes down. It means employment goes down. And if people don't have jobs, they don't buy things. So we wind up in sort of this spiral where there's there's a number of bad indicators and they sort of feed on each other. At the same time, to combat inflation in the United States, the Fed has raised uh, interest rates, which then strengthens the U.S. dollar and also makes the U.S. a more attractive destination for investment. So then investment flows start to flow into the United States instead of China. And then other CCP policies like the recent uh, foreign uh, relations law and um, the uh, intelligence law and so forth are discouraging people from investing in China because the risk has increased tremendously. Mm. Well, that's very good to know. Thank you so much, Antonio Graceffo. I appreciate your analys analysis as always. Thanks. Okay, have a good day. It's a great job with that interview. It's such a complex topic with a lot of moving parts there. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Um, and I think he shed some really um, insightful light on that issue as well. So yes, I agree. Thank you again. And we want to get to some short headlines from around the world. Taiwan has detained a lieutenant colonel suspected of spying for Beijing. A former army major reportedly served as his middleman. The operation also involved a network of serving and retired military officers. The case is the latest exposed in Beijing's campaign to recruit retired Taiwanese military personnel for state intelligence. A huge explosion destroyed a warehouse near Moscow yesterday. So far, at least 60 workers were reported injured. The building is part of a factory that makes optical equipment for the military. No deaths have been confirmed. Russian officials are calling it an accident, and the Ukraine has denied any involvement. A devastating fire raged through a home in eastern France, killing 11 people yesterday. The residence is a vacation home for adults with slight mental disabilities. The rest of those inside were able to evacuate. France's prime minister visited the site yesterday, and President Macron offered his condolences. An investigation is underway. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is calling for war preparations. Along with the announcement, Kim fired his top general while meeting the Central Military Commission yesterday. 
He also spoke of increased weapons production and an expansion of war drills. North Korea has ramped up its military rhetoric this summer, prompting South Korea to be on high alert. And in terms of Taiwan detaining that retired colonel, they must be on high alert right now, especially considering all the incursions that they recently had from the Chinese regime. That's right. So many things happening in this world. Yes. And coming up, an Illinois college is fined after allegedly trying to silence a conservative student whose political views were not welcomed by some students. And California's new math standards in public schools are under scrutiny. Some say the standards are based on ideology. That story and more after the break. Welcome back and good morning again. $80,000 and First Amendment training for professors. That's what an Illinois college was forced to fork up and undergo after allegedly silencing a conservative student's political views. And today's Daniel Monahan spoke with an attorney from the Alliance Defending Freedom organization. Maggie DeYoung was a student at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville in the Art Therapy Master's program. It all began with classroom discussions of current events or other topics. Some of DeYoung's fellow students didn't like what she had to say, and they didn't like her conservative Instagram posts either, such as those expressing her pro-life views or criticizing critical race theory, calling them harassment and discrimination. Attorney Logan Spina says three students complained to school officials. And before Maggie had heard anything else about it, she received no contact orders, which are essentially restraining orders that prohibited her from interacting with any of these students. That meant either in class, in the university facilities where they both had jobs, there were university police officials that were copied on these no contact orders. Uh, it was extremely concerning and it was a prior restraint on Maggie's speech. The attorney says university officials characterized De Jong's speech as a type of microaggression and set up a public display on microaggression, quoting something that De Jong had said to another student as an example. And it wasn't something that was offensive at all. It was basically her explaining that she that her, her views are rooted in her beliefs about objective truth, and because she's a Christian. But she wasn't. She was expressing that in a, in a very loving and respectful manner to somebody else. But they basically treated the sort of claim to to objective truth at all as inherently a microaggression. De Jong contacted Alliance Defending Freedom. The legal team succeeded in getting the no contact orders rescinded. But Spina says other instances of retaliation against Dion continued, which affected her ability to participate in her coursework. And so they filed the lawsuit. Spina says similar moves by institutions against free speech are not rare. So unfortunately, this is happening quite a bit. But what's important to understand also is that the rules on the First Amendment under our Constitution are strong and protective of student speech. We hope that this will continue to at least send a clear message to school officials that this you shouldn't listen when students try to silence other students in this way. Uh, and there's both legal and potentially even financial consequences for doing so. The university agreed to let ADF attorneys carry out First Amendment training with at least three of their professors as part of the settlement. And it will amend their policies and student handbook to ensure those with differing political, religious and ideological views are welcome. University Chancellor James T. Minor acknowledged that the First Amendment protects free speech, but says it does not protect behavior on a campus that creates a hostile environment for other students, adding that balancing the two important principles of free speech and a safe environment can be challenging. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
California recently adopted a new mathematics framework for its public schools. But critics say it's riddled with holes and encourages students not to take algebra. To dive into this, we now go to NTD's Jack Bradley. Good morning, Evelyn. The California State Board of Education recently adopted its 2023 mathematics framework, but will it give public school students the boost that they need? The most recently public standardized test scores for California's public schools indicate that two out of three students did not meet state standards in math, and more than half were unable to meet English standards. Frank Hsu, the president of Californians for Equal Rights Foundation, said the new mathematics framework will only exacerbate this problem. It's under the name of equity, it actually attacks on merit and academic standards. For example, uh, it completely discourages uh, eighth graders from taking Algebra 1. And it's documented in their uh, in the uh, curriculum, says all students take the same rich mathematics courses in kindergarten through grade eight. How is equity, something like equity and social justice, able to fit into something as straightforward as math? How can those two things be connected? Well, because equity means equal outcome. And for those uh, so-called uh, social justice warriors, when they look at the outcome, definitely uh, the more uh, the more advanced courses they offer, uh, the more different outcome they would see. So instead of improving the public education, uh, the way they solve the issue, solve the issue is to uh, reduce the standard. Now, Frank is no stranger to California's declining education. After moving to the United States from China in the mid-2000s and eventually settling in San Diego, he became concerned about his children's education. The first alarm was when his daughter's third grade teacher had difficulty solving a simple math problem during a parent-teacher conference. He explained, okay, four divided by one is four, and I said, my son did it well. And he, saw, he himself tri tripped himself. He says, and four divided by zero, and he's like, uh, what was that? Uh, and then he, he was just stuck there. And we were like, Okay. <laughs> and his son's middle school math teacher would not give a correct or incorrect mark on the homework. He then pulled his children out of public school and enrolled them in private school. We thought it's just one teacher's issue and it's just a mistake uh, based on the context. And the more we experienced in the public school and the more we understand that it's a situation that's very hard to change and uh, we do not want to put our kids in a situation that they cannot get a good education. So I think that's a typical uh, path for many uh, new parents because in the elementary school, they just don't think that's not, that matters or uh, still need some time to observe. And then in the middle school, oh, they found the problem and probably they figured out, oh, it's maybe too hard or too late to solve the issue. And then uh, after several years, the kids already graduated. The controversy over California's new mathematics framework is just one of many on the issue of parental rights in their children's education. Evelyn, back to you. 
and Evelyn. Jack. Yes, yes, definitely. Thank you, Jack, for that update. And there really is a need to have solid math skills. It's fundamental to any education. Yeah, and looking at the PISA scores, t test scores, right, we should really take a hard look at our um, education here in the U.S. That is a good point. Well, we're heading into break now. Coming up, S&P has dropped ESG scores from its debt ratings. We'll have more updates from our Entity Business host after the break. Welcome back. Now that yellow trucking is going off to the wayside, price hikes are making a beeline for the retail sector. We hear more about the impact from an expert in supply and demand. Steve Moore, the co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, joins us live. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Media reports say consumers will see these price hikes for around you know, the holiday season, which is just a few months away. So how much are we actually talking here? So we're going to get a report that comes out just in a few hours, as you know, the latest uh, consumer price index numbers, and they are likely to show an increase. So you're exactly right that, you know, we had gone from one and a half percent inflation when Trump left office, the inflation rate went up to 9.2 percent this time last summer. Now, the good news is to come down to three to four percent, but it's starting to rise again. Look at what's happening to gas prices. I just filled up in Virginia paid $4.19 a gallon. Uh, it was about 50 cents a gallon cheaper a month ago. So we have n we're not out of the woods yet on inflation by any means. So inflation is one factor that's involved in this. And the U.S. lost 15% yep. of its capacity for this small batch trucking because yellow went under. Can you explain right. the niche yellow had here and how will its absence impact the industry? Well, what happened here, clearly uh, the, uh, the big trucking company, Yellow, was really a victim of, uh, of the inflation that we're talking about, that their costs kept rising. Uh, the workers were agitating for much higher uh, wage increases because their incomes are not keeping up. It's a perfect example of why this inflation is wreaking havoc on the U.S. economy. And you know we've seen problems now with some of the banks uh, may go bankrupt because their interest rates keep rising and that makes it difficult for them to keep uh, in business. I think that uh, this economy is really feeling, everyone is feeling the negative effects of this inflation. Remember, prices are up today 15 to 16% higher than they were when Biden came into office. So I really blame a lot of this on the runaway government spending that we've seen and the massive increase in our national debt. So Steve, Yellow's competitors, they already signal that they're not gonna match its low prices. Does this right. pave the way for a new company to fill the gap here? Quite possibly, you know, the, there's a shortage of truck drivers in this country. That's the other issue here. We're having a hard time just talk to any employer and they will tell you they cannot find, you know, truck drivers. You can't find people to fill the factory jobs. You can't see, uh, you know, people who on, on construction sites. I guarantee you almost anywhere in the country, if you go up to a construction site and ask the manager, do you have enough workers? They'll say no. So I think it's also a problem of finding the, the skilled workers who can do these jobs. Steve Moore, co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. It was great speaking with you. You too. Thank you very much. S&P Global will stop grading corporate borrowers on ESG criteria. The scale measures credit risks stemming from environmental, social, and governance factors. And for a closer look, here to discuss this is Entity Business host Don Ma. Don, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Good to see you. 
So we've seen many entities describe this ESG as good risk management, but others have given a lot of pushback saying that it affects the bottom line. So why did S&P Global stop giving out ESG scores for companies? Yeah, let me answer that question, but let me just give give a little background first. So the debt rating agency since 2001 has been publishing scores from one to five for a company's exposure to each aspect of ESG. And, and so let me give you an example of that. Payments company Visa received a two out of five for ENS and three out of five for G. Now the reason S&P Global got rid of this was it said it wasn't really useful to people. And yesterday I actually spoke to a consumer research and an expert on ESG. He told me that it's becoming more and more clear that these scoring systems don't really work at, as advertised. That is really interesting that you point out, Don, that ESG is actually broken up into these compartments and then they weight it accordingly. So what are some potential flaws with these ESG ratings? You know, I think one of them is that the ESG rating is very vague. It's, it's applying an unmeasurable factor on companies and there really is no clear way to determine these ESG scores. Everyone that does them do it slightly differently and it really comes down to extremely subjective measures. It comes down to the opinion of the personnel that happened to work at these companies at that time. You know, when you look at you, when you look at things like the S, for example, it's it's supposedly supposedly about the company's stance on social issues. I mean, how do you rate that, right? Uh, how how you rate that will likely be in the eye of the beholder. Some someone right leaning might have a very different opinion compared to someone who is left leaning. So it's very difficult to give an absolute measure. Um, let me just point out one more flaw, and that is with ESG that environmental, social, and governance issues may not be in the company's best interest all the time, right? Companies should focus on the issues that make them the most productive in a competitive capitalistic environment, like you know, making your employees happy or making a quality product for customers. And sometimes setting ESG targets may actually distort correct decision-making. Yeah, and Don, it seems like from what you're saying that a person's political views would be a factor in that determination. So, Don, do you have any news for us? Right. Um, Disney, um, Star Wars and Marvel fans, uh, Disney is planning to raise prices on its streaming service. Starting October 12th, the monthly cost for the ad-free version of Disney Plus will go from $10.99 to $13.99. And the reason behind the hike is that the company reported revenue struggles in its third quarter. Subscription rates for Hulu, um, which is which Disney owns the majority of, are also increasing by $3 per month. Um, but some good news, UPS drivers are getting a pay raise. The company agreed to pay drivers an average of $170,000, including benefits on a five-year contract. The decision came after the Teamsters Union threatened the company with strike action last month. And as well, a leading biotech company has filed for bankruptcy in the U.S. Amy Riss said it's planning to sell its consumer brands to improve the company's liquidity position. That's part of a strategic shift to seek long-term success. But its entities outside the U.S. aren't included in the bankruptcy proceedings. And lastly, Kevin, the thing to keep an eye on is the Consumer Price Index report that's coming out later this morning. The result could affect the Fed's upcoming interest rate decision. And that's all. 
Yes, we'll keep keeping an eye on that to see if the Fed has to raise interest rates to cool inflation or not. But thank you, Don, host of NTD Business, for your reports. Yeah, my pleasure. And coming up, coaches at a boxing gym in Texas aren't just teaching boxing. They're teaching how to apply the sport to life. Stay tuned for that story. Good to have you back. A boxing gym in Texas teaches how boxing is more than just a combat sport. The coaches at Dark Horse Boxing Academy say the sport is a way of life. Let's take a look. This boxing gym near Dallas, Texas is welcoming everyone interested in the combat sport. There's kids that come in to compete, others that come in for weight management. Owner and head coach Roberto Casado has run the Dark Horse Boxing Academy for more than 10 years. Coming from Mexico, Casado's passing on the authentic Mexican boxing style and its philosophy. Mexican style is about aggression with skills. Sometimes you gotta retreat, sometimes you gotta go forward, but you gotta do it with skills. Mexican boxing is not giving up. You know, putting in the work, fighting the fight, finishing the fight. We're warriors here, you know, uh, in Spanish, semos guerreros, you know? For Casado, boxing runs in the family. My father was a boxer, he took me to the gym, and I got trained by some of the best coaches I've ever known. And now his son is the champion of the regional Golden Gloves Youth Boxing Competition. Casado and his assistant coaches say everyone, including children, can learn a lot from boxing. Boxing has a lot of discipline to it. I like to use boxing analogy as a uh, way of explaining how life can be. There's up, ups and downs and losses and wins, and uh, you have to get up after every loss to, to get there. Charlie Ortega is an assistant coach at Dark Horse who brings his young siblings to the gym. Father of six and assistant coach Jesse Orozco brings his children with him. He was making sure these kids stay busy. I don't see how you could go wrong if you stay focused at anything you do. I don't see how you could go wrong if you stay disciplined. I don't see how you could go wrong if you limit yourself to certain things. Dark Horse's motto is to inspire people to work hard towards their goals in life. Dare to dream and get there. Dare to dream. The Dark Horse is the equivalent of the unexpected champion. So the champion that nobody saw coming. That's the Dark Horse. That's the way I like to be seen, as my team to be seen. The coaches hope their passion and guidance can foster future generations of not just boxers, but also good citizens in society. NTD News, Texas. Well, I think there's a lot of useful skills that can come out of boxing, self-defense, keeping fit, and work ethic, as they touched on. Right, and I really, what I took away from this is that discipline, if you have that, it can go a really long way, right? So yes, and being able to apply do. that to your life to achieve your goals. Yeah, exactly. All right, great way to end the program again. We'd love to hear from you before we go at goodmorning at ntd.com. That's our email address if you have anything that you would like to share with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.